Well, today we're talking about prayer, the essentials. Prayer, the catalyst to knowing God. My question for you is this. Do you know what a catalyst is? Not a catalytic converter. Not a cat that's been kicked. But a catalyst. Um, Here's my idea of a catalyst. That you could take cream of wheat and put Tabasco sauce in it. That's a catalyst. Oh, you're a little confused on that, right? You're like, no, why would I ever do that? Why would I? Okay, you could take Indian food and remove the curry. And what have you done? You've made it spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> All right. When, uh, when I was a younger man, uh, I, I loved surfing. And when I first got into it, I got this horrible board. It was horrible. It was something someone was throwing away. So it had holes all over it, and I had to repair it. And so I, I learned a little bit. This was back before the Internet, you know, um, and cars and things like that. And so I had people tell me, I read some articles that, you know, you've got to take fiberglass, and then you've got to take this big thing of resin. And then you've got to mix this in and lay the fiberglass and then lay the resin and I did all that, and it just sat there gooey. It didn't do anything. And I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? I mean, I've got all this resin. I've got like a pint of resin stuck on this board, and it just keeps bloop, bloop, just dropping off. And so I asked somebody, and they said, you forgot the catalyst. And so I went and bought some catalyst. It's just a little tube. I got a big bucket of resin, and I got a little tube. And so all it required out of that little tube was three drops of that catalyst and it would harden a huge amount of resin so that it would work. So that it would work. This morning, who here has car keys? Raise your hand if you got some car keys on you. Rich, can I see your car keys? I might give them back. (laughs) I like Rich's car. So this, this is a catalyst. It's pretty small. Rich, how much does your truck weigh? 3,000 pounds. This doesn't even weigh a pound. Have you ever tried to move three... Men, focus. Because we struggle with prayer. But we do not struggle with power. Have you ever tried to move 3,000 pounds by your burly self? You might move it a little bit. But if you have one of these and everything's working, you can do powerful, powerful things, can't you? But you've got to have the key. You've got to have the key. Isn't it amazing how this little thing can activate so much power? This past summer, I was able to take my entire family over 900 miles on my back. They all just jumped on my back and we were able to go all the way up to Portland and Spokane over to Seattle and all the way back and everybody lived in comfort. It was fantastic. No. We rode in the expedition and every time I wanted to move that 3,000 pound thing plus all of us and all of our luggage so that we could enjoy our destination, I had to use this little four-ounce catalyst. You get the point? Prayer 
is the catalyst to a relationship with God. And where we, almost everyone struggles in this idea of relationship with God, it's because we minimize prayer. And I think the reason we minimize prayer is because we'll toss up a prayer, but we don't really see the effects. You, you, you get that one? You see that one? You feel that one? You're going to hear some stories on prayer today about people that aren't all that special, but they just stayed devoted to this catalyst and it opened up an incredible world to them. Do you, do you love or do you hate those illustrations that you hear that are just incredibly powerful, but that's not you? That could never happen for you. Oh, yes, it can. And so we're going to open that up this morning as we look into the Word. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer. This, or not the Lord's Prayer. Well, it is the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer by Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the prayer that He <clears throat> agonized over before going to the cross. He knew what was about to happen in his life. He knew where he was going. He knew what was about to transpire. And in that process of doing all of that, what does he do? He mobilizes his people. He calls in the angels. He um, starts uh, orating an incredible discourse in the temple. No, he's done all that. He saved the best and the most important for last because he was in agony. He was desperate. Our Savior was desperate. And in that desperate moment, what did He do? He called upon His relationship with His Father. And so we're going to use this as a template this morning to kind of explore. Because I always wonder, okay, if, if, if we're going to get this right, what should we do? Where should we go? How about we just look at what Jesus did? That always helps, doesn't it? Uh, and, and amen? I don't know. Oh, that was, I just, I just pulled it. That was horrible. I solicited it from you. Let's look at this word this morning out of Matthew 26. 36, <clears throat> we'll start there. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Is he alone? No. He's about to enter into the most intense, intimate picture that we ever see of prayer. And he decides not to do it alone. By the way, he was on the western banks over in Jerusalem and he decides to go to a specific place. A place of solitude. And some scholars would say that he went to a place that he would have returned to that was a prayer place he was familiar with. It was a place of solitude on the Mount of Olives. It was a grove of olive trees. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Our Savior went to pray. He took people with him. He did so when he was in his greatest anguish. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, and here's the separation. He doesn't pray right in their presence. He removes himself a little more for a private, semi-private, intimate conversation with his Father. 
He says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? How long has he prayed? An hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can relate to that, can't we? Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. By the way, this is like three in the morning. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. My friends, there is so much to unpack here that relates perfectly to our prayer life and our struggle maybe or our victory in prayer life. Then He came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So let's start with this idea. And you can take out your notes and write uh, some of these concepts down. They'll help you in your prayer life. We're going to start with this idea that Jesus prayed. We see it here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, most of the other Gospels have this account as well. We'll touch on Luke at the end of this point. So when we look at this idea that Jesus prayed, let's focus first that Jesus kept at it. Jesus kept at it. He was praying in intense prayer that He would be spared from what He would have to face on the cross. That's a mind blower, isn't it? Have you ever felt like you wanted to pray something that you knew didn't really work with the will of God for your life? Get ready, because this is controversial, man. Scholars don't have an answer for this one. And so what do we glean from this? Jesus is praying, take this from Me if there's any way, Father. And yet He already knew what He was supposed to do. What has He been telling the disciples for years? My hour has not yet come. I'm here to fulfill the will of My Father, right? He knows exactly what has to happen. And yet, right before, what does He say? This is a picture into His humanity. And I'm willing to bet something that this is a picture for us so that we can relate. That we can say it's okay to go to our Father in an intense sense of saying, please, this is so hard. And so Jesus prays it and He goes back after an hour and the guys are asleep and you'd think they'd just pack up. I know if I have prayed for an hour at one time in a day, I feel pretty spiritual, right? Yeah, I did it, man. I'm a pastor now. Jesus didn't get the answer He was looking for. He went back. And what does Scripture say? He prayed the same words again. Do you ever get worried that you're just saying the same prayer over and over? And boy, God, you know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to sound redundant. There's something to this. Jesus says, which one of you doesn't understand that 
if you just keep irritating somebody, eventually they're going to give you what you want just because you're asking over and over and over. A little bit of a paraphrase there. But he also says, do you not understand that your Father in Heaven desires to give you those things that are good for you? So ask. Ask. And yet Jesus knew that this cup would not be taken from Him. And yet He still asked. There's a process here. And see, the key to this, the catalyst to this, is praying these things even though they seem like they're not part and parcel to what God's doing, it helps us enter into relationship. It's almost like a, a child going to their parent or an employee going to their employer and, or, or, or an athlete going to the coach and saying, this is really hard. I don't want to do this. Is there any way? But you know you've got to go through it. But sometimes, isn't it just helpful to communicate that? Do you see the the crazy sense of Jesus saying this to the Father? This is a picture of relationship. Even though you know what God's will is, you are allowed to verbalize the pain. And you're allowed to ask over and over. Because what's happening is is that there is a key The key to Jesus' strengthening is relentless prayer. Understand this morning that as we look at this idea that there was a change, there was a transformation that happens for Jesus in this moment. He moves from in desperate sense of agony in His soul being troubled and great sorrow and, and praying so intently that He's what? He's sweating blood. And yet when He leaves to go do the very thing He's praying about, there's a sense of control. There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of purpose that goes all the way through the guards, the trial, the engagement with Pilate, the high priest, the crowds, the scourging, the beatings, the separation, and taking on the sins of the world. He was in total control and total peace. Is that not amazing? And the key to that power was prayer. It was prayer. And Jesus demonstrated it for you and I as to how important this is. Let's look at the result here. Luke 22. You can turn over there. I'm just going to read it quickly. This is the same account, but there's something interesting here. right? We're talking about the ability of, of through prayer that we're able to tap that power that God has promised to us as the Father. A spiritual power. Remember, as I walked up, I asked the question, are we spiritual people? Then let's attend to the circumstances of life with a spiritual process for a spiritual answer so that our soul is strengthened. That's the point here under Jesus prayed, that His soul was strengthened. The key to His strengthening is relentless prayer. Let's look at it. Luke 2, I'm sorry, 22, 39 through 46. And again, you're going to hear the same story, but tell me what you hear different here. And He came out and went, as was His custom. Remember I told you that a lot of scholars believe that He would go to the garden to pray often, and, and in this moment He went to a familiar place. This is where they get it from as was His custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed Him. 
And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. It's not in any of the other Gospels. But Luke's Gospel, Luke found that it was important to record that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the prayer, the Father sent an angel to strengthen Jesus? We just got to stop. I'll throw away the rest of the sermon here. Because this is important. Do you know what I just said? Who's higher in the celestial rankings here? Jesus or the angels? Jesus. How many of us struggle when we say, Lord, I, I need this, I need that, or could you make this happen, or could you help me with... Or, and nothing. We're like, where's that voice? Right? The Father sent an immediate response. Now, Jesus prayed a lot in the Gospels. You'll see it. I don't see this at any other time other than the temptation in the wilderness. And it's not necessarily that He prayed for it. It just says that angels ministered to Him during that time. The Father sends an answer to strengthen His Son. This is all I can take from it without getting into speculation. You ready? Doesn't it matter just to know that you were heard by the person you're talking to? Is there comfort in just that? Now, if you were to know that God heard you, would you not feel like you could move a 3,000 pound vehicle to Saudi Arabia? on your back. I would. I don't know what the angel did to minister to our Lord and Savior. That's not the point. The point is, is that the Father heard His Son in His agony. My son calls from college. I don't care what he asks for. He's getting it. No, that's not true. <laughs> Erase that off the tape almost anything right think about the father and what he would want for his son and knowing that he has to put his son through what he's going to go through on the cross knowing that the statement that he says in aramaic that's written in the gospels translates my father why have you forsaken Think as a parent what it would mean to know that your son is crying out. Could you make it so I don't go through this? I can't. This is the gig. And it's for you. That's how much he loved. Do we now put some teeth to John 3.16? That's how much he loved. And so he sent what he could and what was necessary. And we see the evidence. 
because Jesus leaves. And during the entire crucifixion, he's under control. He's at peace. He has purpose. He speaks with wisdom. As he falls and has the encounter with the women on the Via Della Rosa, he preaches to comfort. Are you kidding me? This is the very Christ that hours before is sweating blood, crying out, please, if there's anything that can be done. Do you see the catalyst? How important prayer is for us. I feel like stopping there. Because the rest of this stuff doesn't matter. No, it does. He prayed because he needed desperately to talk. Pray so that you have relationship with God. Secondly, he prayed in a special place. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Thirdly, he prayed his heart. Don't try to hide what's in there from God. He knows you. He understands you. There isn't anything you can hide from Him, so be real with Him. If that is a little uncomfortable for you, Get into the Psalms and read the Psalms and see how David relates to God through prayer. He prayed the Father's will. You know, God will give you a little bit of a leash, right? He'll give you a little bit of a leash, but ultimately remember these words of Christ during His prayer. I want this gone. I want this done, but not my will. I'm devoted to you. I'll do what you ask. Oh, sorry, last point there. Ah, I missed it. Okay, let's go back here. Jesus prayed. There we go, there we go, there we go. I forgot how many points I made. And he, pr- his <clears throat> he prayed and he was strengthened. And we see that in Luke, right? Second point this morning, where do we speak? Right? I'm using this whole thing that we learned in, in our grammar class, right, in junior high. You know, under, I don't know what it is, journalism or something? Because we all turned out to be fine journalists. What is it? What, where, when, how, and why? Okay, that's what we're going to use for our our filter here. So where do we speak? In other words, where do we pray? Where do we use this catalyst so that we can engage with the Father? Do we have to be in a garden, isolated and alone? Well, anywhere, anytime that allows for the essential tone. I have been out in the ocean and have survived a 10-foot wave on a 60-pound board. I don't really feel like praying for all of you in intercessory prayer at that moment. I am uttering words that I don't even know that I can fathom of praise and hallelujah for, for number one, giving me that incredible experience, but number two, me surviving. At the same time, I've been out there with no waves whatsoever and seen a beautiful sunset and had a dolphin come right up next to me and see God's incredible creation. Again, praise Praise, praise. You can be in different places anywhere. Just make sure that it matches the tone of what your prayer is, right? Many of us learn how to pray on 580 between the hours of 7 and 9 a.m. <laughs> Any required circumstance. Matthew 14, 19. Let's look there real quick. This is important stuff. So, where do you pray? Well, think to yourself. What you know? Are there places that... I have set aside to pray that, that are significant places. 
Um, there's also, you know, a point to insignificant places. This is the feeding of, of 5,000 people. In verse 19, we see where Jesus is. He's on a hillside in Galilee. He's surrounded by more than 5,000 people. It's a busy, crowded thing, and people are grumbling, grumbling and complaining because they're hungry. And that's probably just the disciples. And so pick it up, verse 19, and it says, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Have you ever wondered why we pray for our food? It's this verse. All right? Um, so next time you're out to eat, I challenge you, stand up, lift the food off the table, and no, don't, don't do that. If the Spirit leads, you do it. But see, Christ, this picture of where did He pray, He's out on a hillside, and He's surrounded by thousands of people. Appropriate time to pray, but it has to do with what? It has to do with the tone of, of the moment. So let's go to Luke 23, 34, and let's see another tone, shall we? About where to pray. Luke 23, verse 34. This is the picture in the scene of the crucifixion. I'm going to back it up to 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your misery, in the midst of your mocking, in the midst of your torture, it's appropriate to pray then too. Where? Maybe on a hillside in Galilee. Where? Maybe on a cross in Jerusalem. The point is, What's going on in your heart dictates where you should pray in the moment. Now, there's a very important part of this question that we have to look at. You want to have an undisturbed sanctuary. Turn to Matthew 6. And many of you are familiar with this passage. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is giving continual good instruction. In Matthew 6, verses 5-6, through is leading into the Lord's Prayer. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have not received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. Now, so Jesus gives this very specific, explicit instruction on where you should pray. Number one, you should never pray on a street corner, right? And number two, you should never pray in a church building, right? Jesus said it, end of story. This is where you have to learn how to contextualize. He's talking about the people and their, their pride attitude, and therefore, because they want to be seen and heard for their many words, they will stand in these very public places, not because they're entered into conversation to build their relationship with the Father, but that they might seem spiritual. And it is a wretched scene to the Father. If you're standing on a street corner and you see someone who's been injured, my wife's very good at this, you just pray. Spend time praying. 
for the individual. I know someone, a friend of mine, that was in a car wreck recently, and the first person, the first responder that came to her asked her while she was determining, you know, can I help you and those things, and we're just going to wait for the medical services. This individual said, can I pray for you? In the middle of a car wreck. Because it's appropriate, right? But what Jesus does say here, that it's very, very significant, he's talking about finding a place that's quiet. He's talking about finding a place that you can remove yourself to so you can have a focused time of prayer that is not interfered with or there aren't superfluous, challenging issues to get your mind off of building that relationship with the Father. Let's be careful that we find those places where nobody's watching, nobody can hear us, that we can enter into intimate prayer with our Father. By the way, Garden of Gethsemane was one of those places for Jesus Christ. That's why He returned there. That's why He returned there. Find an undisturbed sanctuary. Third point this morning. Oh, actually, I've got it up on the screen. There you go, in case you didn't read it. I've got to remember how I set up my, my PowerPoint. So when do we speak? And this will be our last point today. When you are moved by His grace and mercy. You may be moved at a certain point to just speak to the Lord. Maybe it's because you're moved by His grace and mercy. Maybe it's when others ask or in, are in need of prayer. You're going to do intercessory prayer for others. How about when you need your Father's help? Right? That's the part I got to pray for and Kat got to pray for uh, about the Lord's Prayer. Those two strident components of the Lord's Prayer are us asking for His help. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Give us what we need. Give me today just what I need in order that I might live the way that you want me to live. So maybe it's when we need our Father's help. Maybe it's when we need to reconcile with Him. Right? Think about marriages that are struggling. One of the first things that happens there is isolation. We just break off in communication, don't we? We don't want to talk anymore. What is the only way to get that marriage and that relationship thriving? You've got to communicate. You've got to talk. You gotta talk in order that you might what? Reconcile. The same with this relationship with God the Father. The key to having a reconciled and thorough and wonderful relationship with our Father is talking with Him, speaking with Him. Find the importance in that. I've told this story a couple times, so bear with me. I'm gonna truncate it a little bit. Uh, one of the times I, I, I took a, a group of students to Israel. We had set up the opportunity for their parents to key in. This was right when webcams first started out. And they're in the, uh, in the temple square, or, or however you want to call it. Um, there, were, there were webcams, and so we were going to do this whole big sign, right? And parents were going to have to get up at like 1 in the morning and tune into this webcam. And we were going to have a big sign that says, you know, we made it, we're still alive. You know, it was going to say something, I don't even remember. It was 2000, I don't remember things. And we had a gal on our team that was a missionary from deep within Mexico. Or her parents were missionaries, but she was as well. And I'm not talking about like, okay, Puerto Vallarta. We're talking about the mountain areas that take three days to get into. We're talking about the Tahumari Indian tribe. And it is isolation upon isolation. And we're standing there at Temple Square, and there's a, uh, uh, this shows you how long ago this was, there's a bank of payphones against the wall. And so all the kids were supposed to call and let their parents know, okay, 
we're there, tune on, you know, tune into this webcam on your computer. And I didn't know any of this was happening. It's only happening five, six feet away from me. Erica told me about it after the fact. She's standing there and she suddenly realized she can't remember her area code. She's got every other number and her parents were desperate to have this moment with her. It was so special to them. And she was heartbroken. And what did she do in this moment? When, when do you speak to your father? When do you start to enter into relationship with him? She realized she had no way of contacting her parents. And so she thought she would call upon his grace so that she could call her parents. And so she just prayed, Father, you know what my need is. Either bring it to my memory or help me in some other way. She finished that prayer. She turned around and standing not two feet behind her was a Mexican family. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but that's a miracle right there. (laughs) It gets better. She turns to them and she starts speaking with them in Spanish. They respond back and she tells them, you know, I, this is like an incredible long shot, but I can't remember my area code. Are you from Mexico? They were from five miles away from her house. You think that Erica isn't convinced that her father's listening? That she has a relationship that can't... It would take mountains to break that relationship. And by the way, God choreographed all that to happen so that she would understand His love for her. All those events happened before she even got into that situation where she didn't write down the number. Oh no, I can remember. That'd be something I'd do, right? That that family would be just standing there in that moment. We had a moment like that yesterday with our sport court. We had everything going well. I'm going to write a story about what's happened with this process because it is what we requested, a God story. But we're at the apex, we're at the pinnacle. It's time to to lift up that pole. And that was a miracle in and of itself, getting the, the light pole up. And then we received all of our shipments, or so we thought. There's four lights on that pole, and our box had three. And we only have this lift for so long. And we're like, Lord, what is going on? And so... Everybody's kind of like frustrated. And I didn't say anything at the time, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, God, you have just done incredible things all the way through this. You've got to make that light show up. We want to be able to be done with this project. And this is kind of stupid stuff. It's just a light, right? But I prayed. And then somebody, Scott, came up with the idea, hey, why don't you check the FedEx tracking and let's see what's going on. We found out there were two boxes that were supposed to be delivered. But I can't get a hold of FedEx. And then at the last minute, I'm able to start a, a chat, electronic chat. And we found out that it was received, and we had the name. And that box with that last light that we were desperate for was just sitting over in the school offices. And we were able to grab it up, and it's up on the light. Now, That's not as big of a deal as those other things we struggle with. But when do you pray? Sometimes when it's a really desperate situation. Sometimes when you just need something to happen, right? By the way, God had all those moments orchestrated yesterday. But the trick of it was what? 
We felt in need. We felt in need to call upon our Father. I felt in need to call upon the Father. He had it sitting here waiting. But tell me how I'm not in deeper relationship with Him because of how those events occurred and because I turned to Him in the midst of that challenge. There's the key to the catalyst. When do we pray? Always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17-18 says, Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Always give thanksgiving. And pray without ceasing. This morning as we close, we start to enter into this question of what do we speak? I'm giving you a teaser. This is just a simple teaser this morning. Come back next week. Because next week we're going to start talking about how do you know when God is speaking to you? That's a big question for all of us, right? How do you recognize God's voice in those moments? And it's very tied into this idea of what do we speak. This morning as I close, I just want to say just a couple things under this idea. Too often in prayer we ask for a change in circumstances rather than in our character. Preaching moves men. Prayer moves God. The key to a relationship with the Father is prayer. So, let me close the prayer. This morning, if you brought your gifts and offerings as you leave today, it's the box on the left. Again, if you're visiting with us, please write out a card. How can we help you? How can we minister to you? It's our desire to to come alongside you and certainly drop that as you're leaving today along with any prayer requests. Um, feel free to go out onto the sport court, but we still have cement drying. So make sure you're looking at your kids, and, and the play structure is kind of out of bounds right now because it's missing a part. We're getting it repaired. Um, we don't want your kids getting hurt, and so we're getting all that done. So they can go on the swings. You guys can go on the, on the sport court, enjoy yourselves, and we rejoice. Um, next week, at the end of the movie, we're having a prayer time. I would love to see us come together as a church for that. I would love for those that will be coming from our community, because Options for Women has advertised this, to see that we're a church that believes in prayer. And that we're not just going to answer the need for Options for Women to reach out to women in our, in our community through practical things that we need to do, but we're going to do it through prayer. Amen? Let me close today. Father, you are the all-powerful creator, sustainer, and the lover of our souls. Father, that we might be spiritual people requires that we not be hindered in our prayer life. And yet, Father, I know that it is so desperately difficult to stay consistent and to stay faithful in prayer. Let us be a people this week that pursues the key to a relationship with you. Let us be a people that are faithful in prayer. Lord, we lift up the gifts that have been brought today as, a, as an extension of worship. May you accept those willfully and use those to your glory. Let us be a community and a church that reaches out and takes care of those in need. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for giving us above and beyond in order that we might be able to serve others 
and proclaim the message of truth and hope and light to the world. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.